Thank you so much, Caleb and Brittany. We appreciate the ministry of the Word and singing it to us. Praise the Lord. The duty of parenting is to glorify God by parenting our children according to God's revealed truth. And that revealed truth is found in the Bible that we have. God's Word. Effective parenting that honors God and does good for our children begins with a fundamental commitment to parent according to God's Word. You understand I just repeated what I said before. Just changed it a little bit to make sure you were listening. Listening, But the first step is parenting according to the Word of God or to parent according to the Word of God. It's to figure out according to the Bible, what the nature of our children is. So the prevailing question would be, what is the nature of our children? And more today than any other time in the history of our our world, when you ask parents, and I would say for that, in addition to just asking parents, but even if you ask believing parents, parents that frequent the church often, and that have been under the Word of God for years, and you ask them, about the nature of their own children, there is a fundamental misunderstanding of what children are by nature. And I think there's a reason for that misunderstanding. And it's the past 100 years of what has infiltrated our society. And the main thing that's permeated our society is called soft sciences. Some of you science teachers will know exactly what I'm talking about. Within the last 100 years or so, science, the science of the soul, well, actually most of them don't believe you have a soul, so I don't even know why they say that, it's kind of a misnomer, but still, uh, they have given us what the understanding they feel like is of the soul, and it's emerged, and the reason this branch is called soft science is because you can't look at this type of science through a telescope. So whereas you have some empirical, empirical data when it comes to normal science, when it comes to soft sciences, you can't do that. You don't have hard science evidences of this. Uh, again, in soft sciences, you, you don't have any data to analyze. You can only speculate and give a theory of what's going on. And there's absolutely no area in our life that has gone untouched by the soft sciences or behavioral sciences in our world. Just consider the polluted legacy that we stand in today. I don't know if you thought you were going to hear this on Mother's Day, but you are. All right. Let me give you, let me talk about four dudes that made an impression in our world wrongly. Sigmund Freud. You ever heard of this guy? He's considered the modern, uh, the father of modern psychology and psychotherapy. And I would suggest that his influence in, in things and even in our country have not been the same since that influence. He taught that human beings were controlled by the unconscious mind. Freud grew up in a Jewish home. Hard to believe that, isn't it? Yet he viewed you and me as simply matter in motion. That's what we were. Our behavior, according to Sigmund Freud, is just primal urges that are all shaped by the experiences and the trauma Uh, Your parents, maybe religion, he believed that your environment, the things your mom and dad did for you or did not do for you, serves you in making you whatever you are today. 
So in a sense, man is just made up of uh, primal urges and affected by only our environment. Another major figure there would be B.F. Skinner, and he wrote a book called Beyond Freedom and Dignity. Now I'm writing, I'm, my sermon is called uh, The Dignity and Depravity of Our Children, but he wrote a book called Beyond Freedom of Dignity, and he set forth what we would call today behaviorism, and he believed that man was nothing more than a bag of molecules. He believed that we were chemicals and circuits, and in order to change the behavior of a child or anyone, you got to give the proper stimuli, positively or negatively. This is how you get the desired behavior that you want from the child. How would you have liked to have this dude for your parent? Just give you the proper stimuli to get whatever response he wanted. Well, next we have a guy named Carl Rogers. And Rogers was deeply involved in the occult. And he had one goal in his psychotherapy. And that was to dismiss open shame over, quote, wrong behavior. Oh, friends, do you see where we are today when it comes to this? Carl Rogers actually gave us what's called talk therapy. When you do counseling sessions, you simply rehearse everything the counselee tells you in a non-judgmental way, accepting uh, it in a manner, and you want them uh, to not walk around with misplaced shame and guilt so you just don't tell them the truth you just kind of let them wallow around in their current situation the final guy I would like to mention is a guy named Abraham Maslow he was also a Jew and he taught that man was the great wanting animal man has a hierarchy of needs and in his nature man is basically good man just acts in undesirable ways and his needs, uh, and he acts that way when his needs are not met. And in Maslow's effort, he formulated what's called self-actualization. You ever heard of that? Some of you are thinking, I'm in science class again. Well, it's a good reminder. And he thought that you must come to the place where your highest need, which is self-esteem, is met. And once this wanting animal reaches its highest need, then only then and then can this animal be a productive member of society. Of course, we listen to these nitwits, and we think they were definitely out to lunch. They all came from an atheistic and materialistic worldview. We know this, yet in, it is these men, more than anything else, that has deeply affected the world that we live in. Not only the world, but also it slips into churches. Not only churches, but Southern Baptist churches. We began to adopt these kinds of theories of, the, of human nature. So what are you, according to soft sciences? Well, there's some bad news. And that is that you're simply matter in motion. No matter what you thought you were when you left your house this morning, according to the soft sciences, you are just matter in motion. You're a bag of chemicals today in a three-piece suit or a dress or whatever you may be wearing today. The good news is... You're basically good. That's what the world says. You have a natural tendency to do right. And we all know that that is absolutely wrong. Right? We know that. Uh, we're not as bad as we seem because the problems simply come from unmet needs and your environment. 
This is really good news because you don't have to blame anybody. You don't, there's no blame to you with anything that you do. Because your goal is to meet your highest need, which man's answer to his own problems you actually find within yourself. You see how this has damaged our society. And here's the other good news for you today. You have unlimited potential. I sound like Joel Osteen, don't I? If there's ever been a guy that's been affected by behavioralism, it's him. No question about it. Now, this is, again, promising for you because you have unlimited potential. Well, will we as Christians trust the foundation of those four guys? Will you? Will you trust? Will you believe in those formulations of what it means to be a human being? Will you follow their advice in raising your children? Do you think these guys cared about your children? Wait a minute. They did care about them, but they wanted to brainwash them. And that's why they wrote their books, and that's why uh, many, many parenting, parenting books today, even Christian parenting books, follow this kind of misunderstanding of what the Word of God has to say about the nature of our children. There is even within our own ranks in church something called integrationism. And this is where you take the modern psychological approach and use it as a grid to sift through it and take what you can that you think is good and you try to integrate it together with God's truth. Well, as Tertullian said, one of the early church fathers, what has Athens ever to do with Greece? What has Athens ever to do with Jerusalem? Right? How in the world can we as Bible-believing Christians use any methods and advice from a modern view of man and their psychological approach? How can we build a theology ourselves of parenting which integrates unbiblical anti-God principles and try to integrate it with what the Word of God says? We must not do it and cannot. Most of these guys don't even believe we have a psyche or a soul. So really, psychology is a misnomer. Why are you even studying it to begin with if you don't have a soul? So if we want to be godly, effective parents then we need to find out what the divinely inspired Word of the living God has to say about the nature of our children. And again, let me be clear. I don't believe it is possible to integrate a secular view of psychology and God's truth at all. Let me be absolutely clear. They are absolutely antithetical. There's nothing friendly about secular psychology when it comes to Christianity. Do you know that there's actually a most recent article written in Time magazine. If you pick up the edition that runs through July 19th, I think, if you pick it up, it's called The Science of Good and Evil. Man, I'm telling you, that's enlightening. When I, when I was preparing to preach the sermon, I'm like, wow. Over the month, uh, months of Mother's Day and Father's Day, here's this, The Science of Good and Evil. Some of the articles include, what makes us moral? Wow. I'm like, as a preacher, like, ooh, I can't wait to read what Time magazine has to say. One's called The Roots of Good and Evil. Another one's called Good Deeds and Good Health. And then one's called An Understanding of the Dark Side. Wow. And the article on The Roots of Good and Evil. And you think, well, those guys lived a long time ago. What's happening in the world today? How do we think in the world? Well, in the article on The Roots of Good and Evil, the writer seeks to establish that there are evolutionary advantages to nearly all aspects of human behavior. Right? In a subheading called, Why Are We the Way We Are? 
That's interesting, right? The writer says, check this out now, quote, You are a one in a million success story. You owe your existence to an unbroken chain of ancestors stretching back to the primordial soup. There you are, just the chemicals, wired at work, right? Who each did what was necessary to survive and pass on its genes to its offspring. How do you moms feel today about that diagnosis of who you are? Right? How do you children feel about that? Just primordial soup. If even one of your ancestors had come up short, if they'd succumbed to a competitor or failed to land a mate, you would not be here. Hmm. David Buss, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Texas at Austin and the author of Evolutionary Psychology, The New Science of the Mind, says whatever qualities humans have today, whether we view them as noble or deplorable, are the ones that would have increased our ancestors' odds of replicative success. He goes on to say, Our inherent human nature has adaptations that evolve to be beneficial, not from a moral sense, but from a fitness sense. You're just exercising on the adaptations that you've gone through the evolutionary process, and therefore it's about survival of the fittest. Right? The reason you're here today. That's their view of how we have the capacity. Because what they're wrestling with is how on one hand do you have in human beings the capacity for kindness and generosity. But on the other end of the spectrum you have greed and violence. And even in this Time magazine they put up figures all the way from Mother Teresa to Adolf Hitler. And they say, how can this be? Well, it's just environment that pushed these people to to make either show... uh, a kindness and generosity, but on the other end of the spectrum to show greed and violence. I hope you don't make a peace treaty with the very thing that opposes everything we believe. And that's the world that we're living in today. What does the Bible say about our children? And some of you are glad I'm getting there, right? Are you just Pavlov's dogs? I mean, what are you? Are you just a bag of molecules made up of some circuits that As long as you get some proper stimuli, you may be a pretty good society person. Are you just a wanting animal? What are we? Let's begin where the Bible begins. Genesis 1. Listen to the holy word of the Lord. Genesis 1. First, I want you to see that our children come into this world with incredible, underscore this word, dignity. Underscore this word. No matter what the sciences say about molecules and and just chemical baggage and primordial soup. You are made in the image of God. Children are brought into this world with incredible dignity. On the sixth day of creation, God says these words, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock. And over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. and Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Do we have first about the revelation from God's word about mankind? And we see that man was made in the image 
of God. Amen? Amen. Y'all see that? That's kind of contrary to the behavioral sciences that are out there, soft sciences. But here's the word of the Lord. The effective, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Whose doctrines are holy, precepts are binding, historics are true. Here it is. God says that he made man, children, in the image and likeness of himself. What does that mean? Well, certainly it has something to do with how we're made on the inside. And I would say, relationally, God made us so that we could know him. And boy, that's awesome. God made you redeemable. As my Old Testament professor, Dr. Gary Galliotti, would say when he was interpreting this in Hebrew, he would remind us that God made us in his image, meaning relationally we could be redeemed. But primarily, man in God's image, according to what we've just read, has something to do with God's image uh, lived out through us in created order. That's, in, that's interesting. As you look at what follows what I just read, it's a job description uh, of what man is supposed to be doing, made in the likeness of God. So the first element of the image of God it was primarily functional. Do you see? You have dominion over uh, you'll be fruitful and multiply. It's a function. It's a description of what God calls us to do. So man is to be seen as a vice regent in the earth's exercising dominion as a vice regent of the Most High God. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We are to, be, we are to image and reflect our God upon the earth. Now we see that doesn't look too good when you get to Genesis chapter 3, right? Something has been disrupted. However, the real functional aspect of what it, may, what it means to be made in the image of God, although it has been defaced, is not gone after the fall. It's still there. God made us, notice what the text says, male and female. Oh, can you get any clearer? God made us male and female. Man is made in communion with God. And with one another. That relational aspect says that because we are image bearers, we have communion with God and we can have fellowship with one another. By the way, how does chapter 2 end? And they were both in the garden and were both naked, right? That means there was absolute, unhindered, unshameful relationship one with one another not inhibited at all by sin. Isn't that awesome? I want to remind you that one of these days, that's how it's going to be in glory. No shame whatsoever. Nothing hindering our relational aspects. So, man is made in communion with God and with one another, relationally. The man and woman are both in the garden, naked and unashamed. This means that there was complete, complete pure communion so the image of God surely has a bearing on who we are in essence. We know our kids are different from a hamster. They're different from a dog. They're different from a goldfish. But our world will do more to protect those than a baby in the womb. What a travesty it is. So there's something radically different between the personality of a child and anything else that God has made in the animal world. Amen? There's so many different things that make up the complexities of the human soul. And that is what it means to be made in the image of God. This is one of the reasons why paganism is so absolutely frightening. Once we erase 
the distinction between creator and the created creation. It's just one step to be able to say a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. When there's no creator. That's the line of reason you come up with. We know better than that, don't we? We know what the Word of God has to say to us. We know it in our conscience according to the Bible. And even those who claim to be the most atheistic people in all the world, God has not left Himself without a witness. All they have to do is look up to the created order. That moon didn't get there by accident. That sun didn't get there by accident. Right? And the Bible says that even those who would be agnostics and atheists will not be able to hold up a fist against God and rebuke and say, why God? You know why? Because God says, I gave you a complete revelation of who I am. Right? In creation. And I exist. Right? That's what the Bible says. Well, our children are made in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, they come into this world with incredible dignity. They're made in the image of God. Secondly, our children are made for God's glory. Listen to the word of God in Isaiah chapter 4, 43, verses 6 through 7. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Who made them? God did. Why did He make them? For His glory. Verse 21, the Bible says, The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Our children are born, and they bear the image of God, and they're also created for an incredibly high purpose. Right? They have been created to worship and praise and to serve the living God. We need to let that permeate the way that we think, right? Because the world has squeezed us to in, into its mold to think that our children ought to do all these other things in life in order for society to think they're successful. Folks, when's the last time you looked at that kid and you thought to yourself, God created that child to bring him glory? Are y'all listening? When's the last time you stopped long enough to think about that? We need to let that permeate the way we think as we look at these little ones that God has given us. We must realize that right in front of us, is an image bearer of the Most High God in whom God created for His own pleasure and for His glory. That's why God created us for His own pleasure and for His glory. They were created to be worshipers of the Most High God. I think that can transform our way of parenting, don't you? I think it can transform the way that we think. So children are created with incredible dignity. Number two, our children are created as subjects of the Creator. Lest you think that teenagers rule the world, I want to remind you that God rules the world. Or anybody else, for that matter, ruling the world. You know, we joke with our kids sometimes, it's your world, we're just walking through it. We get it, right? But I want you to know, folks, that God is the head. God is the Creator. And everything He's ever created is under subjection to Him. And I want to remind you that in the end times, God will bring everything under subjection to His feet. Everything. And so, He's moving in that direction. Our God is the King. No amens today? Are you in a Mother's Day swoon? God is the King. And we are responsible to Him. God has a right to command whatever He wants to command from people He made. 
Boy, that's, that just flies against those on the media, doesn't it? Because we're supposed to be able to make God in our own image, right? And tell Him how He's supposed to respond to us. And when He don't respond the way we want to, then we just change Him again. Right? But that's not what the Bible tells us about our God. We know that man is the crowning achievement of God's creation. When's the last time you read Psalm 8? I'm not going to take time to read it. But God has made man in His image. And He's crowned man with glory and majesty. It's truly an awesome thing to be made a human being. It is. We're image bearers. Made for the glory of God. And because of this, the lives of our children are precious. Both born and unborn. Right? So they must be treasured and protected as little image bearers of the Most High God. The children of God. That he, the children God gave us. Uh, those are the ones that He has made. It is our great God that has wired our children together in their mother's womb. That's what the text says. It is God who made their little personalities. You know, <clears throat> you think about this when they're, gosh, just weeks old and months old. How God has wired their little personalities and their so different. No matter if you've got three, four, five, or ten kids. They're just made by God with their little personalities. Their looks, their gifts, and abilities did not come from soup. They came from God. He made every one of them. Now, they have worth and dignity as human beings. But they're subject to the Creator God. Not vice versa. Now, I wish I could stop there. If I could, I would. This is only part of the story. We know that something is woefully wrong, right? Those little ones made in the image of God with incredible dignity are also the little ones who have within them the seeds of depravity. That's what the Bible teaches. If you stop and think about it, it's only from the Christian worldview that one can give an account for both the dignity and depravity of man. You read that Time Magazine article numerous times, they say, well, we just don't know. <laughs> we know. We know why on a scale from Mother Teresa to Adolf Hitler, or Billy Graham, I'd like to say, right, to an Adolf Hitler. We know what's going on there. From a secular position with man, with unlimited potential and all the rest, they have no answer for why you have in the same world a Mother Teresa and an Adolf Hitler. Okay, that gets me to point three. You ready for it? Our children come into this world with the seeds of depravity. Let me show you. Chapter 5 in the book of Genesis, verse 3. The Bible says, and we could read, we could read Genesis 3, okay? We could. Chapter 5, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years... He fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now, there's no answer in the world for why you have the, the best of men and the worst of men coming from the same womb. Mm, and we see that sometimes, right? So we can explain how man is fearfully and wonderfully made in dignity and value, made in the image of God. But we can also supply the answer to what went wrong. Can't we? 
You can surely look at chapter 3 of Genesis, and chap- but you can also see it in chapter 5. What you have in chapter 5 is a statement regarding how Adam was created. And then from Adam, it says that Adam's son was made in his image and in his likeness. And if you track this all the way through the remaining chap- verses of chapter 5, you'll see what happens. He lived so many years and he, right? The only one that didn't die was one that was raptured. And his name was Yeah, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. Paul will say this later, which is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Just jot this down. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Is that pretty clear? Who are we speaking of? Adam. And death through sin. Boy, there's there's no missing that. If you're not dead and you're alive this day, I want you to know something. You're going to die. All right? That's an un... uh, You you can't argue that point. And the Bible says that you're not primordial soup that just runs out. The Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Therefore, just as sin came into this world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Do you see the context? All have sinned. Where and when have we sinned? We sinned in Adam. Y'all see the connection? As in one man. As a result, we have the most empirically defensible truth in all the world. And it's called original sin. Original sin. You don't have to work too hard to defend original sin. You only have to look to your own nose. Amen? You don't have to work too hard to defend original sin. Just look at your own self. I don't even have to look past my own nose. You and I are walking examples of original sin. Just go home with some of you guys and husbands today after church. Uh Uh-oh. Just go home with some of these mamas today after church. We're all sinners. Let's take some of our kids home with us after church. We'll figure it out. We're walking examples. In Adam, we all die and we all become sinners. So our children are wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of God. They're created for the glory of God. And even after the fall, we still bear the image of God. Let me show you in Genesis 9-6, which is a reference that I believe defends capital punishment. Listen to the word of the Lord. Whoever sheds the blood of a man by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. Well, I'm just telling you, uh, that overrules abortion right there, right? When you start thinking about the dignity of humanity. Uh, Euthanasia, that's out, right? Hideous sin before the face of a holy God who gave life. If God gave the life, God takes the life out. We have no right whatsoever. But my point there is... That even after the fall, we still retain the vestiges of the image of God. So God institutes the death penalty on the basis of the fact that man is still made in the image of God. James tells us that we should not curse our brothers who are made in the likeness of God. So even then, even here now, although that image is marred and disrupted and disfigured and disfaced and shrouded in our own sinfulness, it's still there. Can I tell you what your children look like? Are you ready? Here it is. Three things. They have a fallen mind. Right? The scripture tells us that the mind of man is at enmity with God. 
The Bible says it clearly in Romans 8, 7, and 8. Let me show you. The hostility of the mind toward God. Romans chapter, what did I say? Chapter 8. Yeah, 8, 7, and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can not. Those who are in the flesh can not please God. So, what does it mean for the mind to be of the flesh? That means you're not of the Spirit. So, if you're of the flesh, that means you're not saved. Different kind of word than this. We're not talking about this flesh. We're talking about the nature that is against God. It is not willing to subject itself to the law of God. Our children come into this world and they may be bright and intelligent and they can use their minds to do wonderful things, but we must remember that they come into this world with a darkened mind, a depraved mind. They come into this world with a mind that is not willing to embrace the truth about God. I'm not making this up. I'm telling you what thus saith the Lord. So in order for you to say that's not true, then you're denying the word of God. Not the preacher. I'm the mailman. Okay? I'm just delivering the goods of what the Word says. We may like to think that raising our kids in a Christian home secures their salvation. You best remember that they come into this world with a mind that has fallen. Amen? So we teach them and train them in God's Word so they have a fallen, bent mind toward sin. That's what the Bible says. They have a fallen mind. They also have a fallen heart. Their affections draw them out towards sin. What is said in Jeremiah 17.9 is true of all children. Listen to Jeremiah 17.9. Some of you know it by heart, by mind and heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? One of the worst things you can ever do is say, just go with your heart. I would suggest that you go with the Bible, Amen. right? That you hide its word in your heart so that you will not sin against the Lord. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your children are born with a heart that is bent towards sin. They have a heart that loves what it should hate and hates what it should love. They have a heart that is prone toward darkness with an aversion to light. The light of God spiritually. Let me show you that one. Just so you know, I'm telling you the truth according to the Bible. When you get over to John chapter 3, verse 19, listen to what the word of the Lord says. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world. What is light? It is the life of God spiritually has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's the condition of the heart. They have a fallen mind. They have a fallen heart. They also have a fallen will. We realize that that little one comes into this world with a fallen will. If you don't believe that their will has fallen, just put some parameters up for that little guy or girl. And you'll find out quickly, right? Don't we like to laugh about their depravity? But we know it's so true. We've raised four of them. They're vipers and diapers. I've told you that. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Not only did we raise four, but Natalie had the awesome privilege of working in First Baptist Pale City's daycare. That's a church, right? Them little kids are so sweet in there, and they're always so good. She had this one little child, and I would have to ask Natalie every day. Well, I'm not going to call his name because I'm preaching on 
could be on the radio. What did, what did he do today? And I just said that like, that's awesome. One day, at that time, Blake Shelton had a song out about rednecks. All right? And she asked him one time, she said, Oh, son, <laughs> what, what's your favorite song? He said, Chewbacca, Chewbacca, spit. Y'all, if you've heard the song, that's what it says. One of the lines says, if you're a redneck, chew tobacco, chew tobacco, spit, right? Just awesome. I got the kick out of that. I thought that was the best thing in the world. He's two. Two years old. Chew tobacco, chew tobacco, spit. That's his favorite song. I'm not sure that was the title of the song, but still. But the most fascinating thing about him is Nadler would scold him, put him in the corner. And he'd, she'd walk over there and get his little face and look at him. And he'd say, tell me about God. That little rascal knew that there was a difference between a holy God and his character. He'd say, Miss Natalie, tell me about God. And he's two years old. Those little rascals have a fallen will. Doesn't take you long to figure this out. They're depravity. Now, do I need to compel you to believe that your kid has a bent will? Oh, it's not bent in the direction of doing what we tell them to do. Now, I granted some children are more compliant than others. Yet, listen again to the scripture. Psalm 58. You don't have to turn. Just listen. Psalm 58, 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. Did y'all catch that? They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Well, you know, we can memorize that and say that to our children, right? Yes. It's funny, but not funny. Do you ever have to sit your child down and say, Now, little man, the best way to stay out of trouble is not to tell the truth when I ask you. You ever give that kind of reverse psychology? Do you? Do we have to say this? I know your propensity is to share your toys with everyone, but from now on, when someone wants to play with your toy, you have to look them in the face and clinch it and say, No! Mine! Is that the way we deal with them? Do we have to really teach them that? Again, Jeremiah. I think it's the last text I'll give you. 1323. And you say, how are you getting these so fast? Because I mark all of them, right? Chapter 13, verse 23. The Bible says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or a leopard his spots? Then also you can do you cannot do good who are accustomed to evil. <laughs> wow. Pretty strong, isn't it? That bent fallen will. Now consider the paradox. We are image bearers of the Most High God, yet we have in us the deep-seated heart, a deep-seated heart problem of total depravity. Our children come into this world born like rebels. We need to be reminded that that precious little bundle of joy is not a blank slate, as the world tells you that you can create in that blank slate anything you want to. That's bogus. That's hogwash. The little one is not born spiritually neutral. Neutral. Bible tells us they're born spiritually depraved. Within that precious, soft skin, there is a dead soul and a heart that is at enmity with its creator. And the Bible tells us that it has in it all kinds of seeds of corruption. Don't get me wrong. I love that soft skin of those babies. Don't you love to sniff that head after they've taken a bath and you put that lotion on them? Oh, that's why I miss them grandbabies. Right? Got another one coming in October. I said, ma'am, my quiver's full, Matthew and Elena. You got to get yours full. They got number three. They say it's six arrows in peacetime. So they need to step up. Right? 
I mean, it's awesome to hold those little babies. I mean, God, it is. You marvel and revel in God at the creation of a child. You do. You do that. But at the same time, don't be surprised when that little one grows up and the seeds of corruption begin to sprout and manifest themselves. If your child is, say, three, two, go on down, 18 months, you already see it, right? You already see it. Try taking something away from that 18-month-old. If they had your strength, when you took it away from them, they might kill you. And there's no joking about that. And walk away and not even think about you. Because they won't. What they want, because their will is fallen. That cuddly, sweet preciousness wears off quickly. We always love our children. We always want to protect them. We want to sink our hearts into them. And I say this with the most reverence and respect. And some of you know what it's like to have children that go wayward. And you say, well, I'm so glad that my children are not doing the things that some of the other children did. Well, that's all fine and good. But is your kid living for God? It doesn't really matter. Well, it does matter on the face of the earth if they're not doing what other kids are doing. Praise God that they're not. But are they making an impact in the kingdom for the king? Well, that's the whole. We've been accustomed to be trained of what we should not do. But we've taught very little about what we ought to be doing. We really have. Churches are full of people who just go through the motion. Take a bath. Smell good. Look good, show up at church, right? That's what it's all about. And then we leave on Monday and we forget about anything to do with the Lord until we come back on Wednesday night, maybe, or on Sunday. Well, we want to sink our hearts into our children, but we need to remember that they come into this world dead in trespasses and sin. They come into this world as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. They're precious indeed, but they're fallen indeed. Because our children are sinners, they need biblical training. They need discipline, they need love, they need law, and they need gospel, right? They need the gospel of Jesus Christ because they are who they are. We need to take our calling seriously, don't we? Oh, what an incredible responsibility that we have with these little image bearers of the Lord God. However, why? Why did God make them in His image for His glory? But He's entrusted them to us. And folks, that requires a ton of diligence. You get tired. I mean, after you raise one, two, three, four, whoo, get tired, don't you? But this is a call for all of us, whether your little ones, the age of the ones that stood up today, are 40 years old. I don't think you ever get done parenting, do you? Do they always cost you money, folks? I mean, they'll break you, right? They will. Got to get them off our payroll at some point in life, don't we? That's right. What an inc- incredible responsibility. requires effort not to give up. It requires a village, like a church family to gather around us. So here's the deal. Final word. Are you ready to go home? Amen. Oh! <laughs> if you was a member, I'd vote you out. No, I'm kidding. With all seriousness, listen up. So when you tuck that little one, into bed tonight. I encourage you to be overwhelmed with the dignity of that little child. But I also want you to quickly drop to your knees. Because within that heart, 
is enmity with God. Right there before you. We need to pray that the Lord of salvation might visit the hearts of our children. To God be the glory. Amen. Father, uh, we, we know it's Mother's Day, and maybe this is not the normal Mother's Day sermon, but oh God, I needed to hear this. And our people need to hear about the wonderful, awesome dignity of our children, but also their depravity. And God, we're asking for you to visit hearts with salvation, because we know that only you can take out the heart of flesh and put in a, take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that's pliable. Lord, we know that when your spirit saves a child by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ and he alone saves, that something happens inside of that individual. There's a transformation. And when, then when mom and dad says that's not right, well, that signal goes off in that spirit because the spirit of the living God is bearing witness that that's not the right way to live or act. Father, help us to be patient with parental control. So that one day when they trust you as Lord and Savior, they'll have spirit control. And they'll obey you from the heart. God, that's what we want. Not a list of do's and don'ts on tablets of stone, but your word and your law put in our hearts. So that we'll love you and serve you. Thank you for Jesus. No, our kids could never obey the law at all, perfectly. And neither could we. But the Son of God came down from heaven, fully God, fully man, and lived in full obedience to your, you, Father, and never one time sinned. And you took, took that perfect body to the tree of Calvary, and you died so that your righteousness and obedience to the perfect law might be transferred to us. And although we are in a state today of sinfulness, we are in a standing of righteousness before you, all because of Jesus. And we praise you for it. If there's a lost soul in this building, may they not trust in the Rogerses and the Freuds and the behaviorism of today. May they put their trust in the Word of God and what Jesus had to say. In your name we pray. Amen.